Here we go. All right, we're back with another pod. It's been a minute. On the eve of the NFL draft, we're going to uh, crank one out and talk some hoops, talk some, talk some politics. What's going on? I'm chilling, man. I'm in Hoboken, relaxing, ready to talk some basketball, ready to talk some politics. And yeah, I'm pumped for the NBA, the NFL draft, but I'm just going to watch it as entertainment, you know? I'm with you. So let's jump into it. Uh, what do we have on the agenda? Uh, first thing I think we need to talk about is, I just think we need to talk about the MJ doc off the top. What are your thoughts? First two episodes, what are you thinking? One, very well-made documentary, which is great. And two, um, I was born in 92, so obviously didn't live through the MJ years. And my number one takeaway is honestly how cool MJ was. Like the clothes, the Bulls intro song, um, just the Beatles-ness mania of the Bulls going international i think that was my my real core takeaway there i was blown away by that element too like i did not realize that they were idolized on a national level on a international level so that was shocking to me i differ from you in the in the respects to thinking mj was cool the dude's wearing a beret the dude has a lisp i didn't i thought his work ethic was sick but i did not come away thinking like oh he's cool like he has swag like that is not what i got He's an icon. He's got the hoop earring in. He's got the beret. He's got the baggy suit. He's just running the world at that point. You got to, you got to embrace it, man. That's that's a fine take. I also would like to talk about the GM. What was the guy's name? Was it Jerry? I, I don't know the name. Jerry Krause. Jerry, Jerry Krause. I thought that was like such a – something I'd never heard about. I honestly had never heard of him in general. I thought that was such a cool element of the podcast that I thought was really insightful into that. Let me ask you something. Do you think the guy is a total disaster? I love that style. That's kind of like I respected it. It's not to me, although it's very hard line and it's probably very anti-star thinking you're bigger than the team or your your operation is bigger than the team. I just think that's the the most efficient way to run an organization back then and also in the current state. That's my opinion. What do you think? So you're going to be shocked here, but I actually fully agree. And I think the hate and the portrayal of him may be a little intense. One, yes, he did make it seem like he's a little bit above the organization, maybe a little bit of an ego in the way um, and things of that nature. He kind of wanted his name uh, attached to things, or at least that's how they portrayed him. But I will say this, that the job of a fan is to be obsessed with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen always, but a job of a GM is to really see like a long the longevity and the plan throughout uh, post their prime and things of that nature. So if you look at the Lakers, let's just say uh, in 2012, when they were going for a three-peat and they played the Mavs in the playoffs, before you know it, that thing ended real quick. They got their ass kicked by the Mavs and that dynasty was over. Now, if the, at that time, the GM just re-upped Kobe, re-upped Gasol. He's paying these fat contracts and they sunk to the most incredible lows that the, that organization has ever seen. So, in some regard, I understand Jerry Krause trying to be proactive here and not just 
paying them whatever they want and just keeping this thing going forever. And it's also, I agree with you, dude. It's also like he he's not their friend, man. This is a this is the most cutthroat industry in the world, you could say, right? So for them to for Scottie Pippen to think that he's gonna be his boy, I just think it's like I was more on Jerry's side than than the public perception. Surprisingly, we have an agreement there. Um, okay, so what else What else should we uh, discuss? I think we should get into the next segment. I think this is a segment, dude, we've wanted to debut on Airways for literally 5, 10, 15 years. The segment, you give me the name. Uh, China. China. We're going to be discussing if players should opt to maybe go for a bench role on an NBA team or if they should be Stefan Marbury of China. And, and that's going to be the segment. So let's get into it. Please hit me with the juiciest player you could think of that either at the end of their prime should have gone to China or should have just gone to China altogether. Okay, well, I'll start you off with uh, with maybe a low ball here. Okay. Uh, um, Mike Conley is having a <laughs> rough, rough season. Yeah. He's a very disciplined NBA player, so maybe he doesn't fit the mold of China. But should someone who's tailing off like Mike Conley yeah. be heading to China? So I think that's a great first question for this segment, dude. I think if he wasn't on this contract, he should have gone to China. I think whenever you're getting paid, like, what's he getting paid? $32 million? Yeah, like $32 million. You got to stick it out. So- And I think the money isn't going to be there in China like that. But I think right when this contract's up, dude, he needs to call his agent, Jerry Goldstein, and say, Jerry, get me in China. Get me big in China. And if that goes down, I think he he gets three or four championships in China. And he could be a generational player here and over there. So definitely China right when this contract's up. Let me hit you with one. All right. Well, guys like him, I really disagree with because this is like a consummate professional. He can like adapt to becoming what like maybe Karam Butler became on a bench for OKC at the end of his career. So I don't see China for a guy like Mike Conley. But what about someone like Andrew Wiggins in his prime? Oh, my God. Just not the quite the player that you initially thought he would be or you maybe did, but I didn't. Dude. What about him? So my opinion would be this guy right out of college should have gone right to the Shanghai Knights and started a 15 to 20 year career. I could have seen him as a 15 time all-star, you know, six time first team all China. So I just think it's, I think it's honestly a mistake. I think his agent has misled him. Yes. He got a ton of money, but I would argue he could get that money in China and he can get that money tenfold. Andrew Wiggins should have been the biggest thing in China. And I think it's a real mistake. What do you think about that one? This take I can have more of a tolerance for because Wiggins obviously is awkward. I mean, he's some level of a talent. And if he were to go to 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 China, he would be the greatest thing they've ever seen. He they'd would be literally ma- be Michael Jordan. They'd be the making would be fainting. Yeah, they'd be making documentaries about him, man. Yeah, so he'd be putting up like fifty to seventy points a night. Yes. And would be the greatest thing they've ever seen. Statues, the whole deal. So that, you know, is kind of appealing. 100%, man. I think he's a great one because he is a polarizing. He's definitely a talent, right? We're not disputing if he's a talent. We're just saying where is his talent best served, you know? Okay, one last one. Okay, perfect. Hit me with it. Another, Another interesting one. This guy's young. Should he... Should he... 
pick up, you know, like take his resume, what he's done in the league so far, and just call it quits, <laughs> pack his bags, go to China. Okay. DeAndre Ayton. Ooh. This league is going away for set, going away from centers. Are you ready to say China? Uh, I think it's a really, really tough one because I am kind of bullish on his upside in the NBA. I think I'm always in agreement with you. It isn't a center's league, but this guy is a skilled big. But man, <laughs> I, I think he, he could choose either. If he did go to China, again, we're looking at a 20-time all-star. We're looking at a gold a gold to a titanium statue erected where he lives and also outside the stadium. So I just think – I think the upside's really good for this kid. I think the choice is his. What do you think? I don't love how back-to-the-basket bigs um, fit into this NBA equation right now. But with that being said, let this man try to get another contract. Some of these bigs can make real money in the NBA. He's staying. Maybe he goes to China like when he's like 34 and he has like a resurrection 10-year career. Could you see that? Yeah. You know someone who actually really this – this just came to mind. So – Maybe the Wiggins and the Aitons a little premature for China, but what about someone like um, Lamelo? Uh, oh my god! No, no, no! <laughs> the guy on Boston, short guy, totally blank. He was on Boston. He's had some injuries. Not Terry Rozier. No, the he's just been bouncing around. Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah, dude. Well. The thing about Isaiah Thomas, man, is that he can't be in the NBA because his defense is horrendous. But, of course, I don't know why his agent isn't on the phone because he's still putting up 35 a night in China, probably nine assists, you know, probably a low turnover percentage, probably, you know, turnover rate, probably like 1.8 a game. So, definitely, man, Isaiah Thomas should be in China yesterday. And this agent, you could would say he should Sued for malpractice. Yeah, man. Or just like I, I just think I should start an NBA agency agency today and just tell all my clients go to China, come live in Los Angeles in the off season, go to China, wear a mask, do all the shit that they do, and go over there and become the best bat, become Michael Jordan. It's a fair point. It it could be tempting for some. All right, let's get all into right. the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, draft philosophies. You're going to hit us with the first one. Can you talk to me a little bit about in 2020, in 20, in 2021, in 2022, should you be drafting a back-to-the-basket big man? Should you be drafting a back-to-the-basket big man in 2020? Um, I think, think that point is pretty obvious and the mistake has just been made way too many times in recent years you see like in the Aiton, Luka Doncic, Trey Young draft all it takes is some normal competent human GM to just say okay anyone who is in tune with the NBA i.e. he can shoot he can play with space he can play with pace he can play with tempo should be taken over any big man I don't care who or what the players are on your team so any GM that's still thinking that way should probably also go to China <laughs> as a GM. But 
it's just such an archaic way of thinking. If you're going to draft a GM, it really has to be after all the skilled position players that can be on ball or off the board in any capacity. And like, just, just let's throw, let's throw a hypothetical example out there. Like, let's say there was a very high skilled big man like DeAndre Ayton. When, like, when would be the earliest a team should be like, Hey, we've missed out on the top players in the draft and maybe we should settle for the best big man. Where, where do you think that line is? think it's after anyone who has any on-ball potential so if you like look at this draft and you see like Lamelo ball he clearly has on-ball potential i don't know if he settles into like a jr smith type player or worse or better or you know anything like that but he does have an ability to light it up i would struggle to take uh any of the big men that are on the board over him, unless it is like this beautiful modern NBA versatile Zion type big, or like a jo- a Jokic, right? Um, you, yeah, they have to have some extreme level of skill for sure, like on ball skill. Hmm. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the next thing, man. Uh. I know the number one pick in the next draft just announced that he was going to forego going to college to uh, he was going to go to the NBA G League. I think it's like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars salary. I just wanted to get your thoughts on do you think players should be going to college? Do you think going professional right off the bat, going to the G League right off the bat? What are your thoughts on the best route right after high school ends? So the track record on this obviously hasn't been. Excellent. Uh, one that comes to mind, I know like Glenn Rice Jr. did it a couple years ago. He played for like the New Mexico Vipers or something, Grand Rapid Vipers, something of that nature. <laughs> um, I know things have changed since then, but if you look at players who have done this, they usually have not gone in like the top 20 of any draft. Um, and then there's those that have sat out seasons like a Mitchell Robinson or um, Darius Ballsy, things of guys like that. And none of them have really helped their draft stock. My concern is you go, you play with men in this league, It just like grown men in the D League or G League now. You won't paint the most beautiful picture of yourself. But I am all for screwing over the NCA and taking the money. So what do you think? I think, dude, I think your point spot on that if this was four years ago and we were talking about the NBA developmental league, I would say that's not the route to go down because like you said, there's grown men out there and you're as skilled as you are, you will get eaten up a little bit just by these men, you know, you're playing with men. So I think, I think what they're offering, I think it's as of last year and now this year is almost like a pathway to the NBA. And I think just in the sense of getting your practice in, being a professional, I think it should be the gold standard for prospects going to the NBA, just from a United States point of view, not an international gold standard. So I think the top guy coming out, and I don't know his name and I haven't looked into him, I just think that's a great step into the future of how we're going to develop top basketball players in the United States. I think the college model no longer makes any sense. It's still cool and it's like, it's nice to go to a Duke game and like get that atmosphere, but when we really take a look at it, we need to divide sports and academics, and I think this is just a good step in the future. It's a very good point, um, and it's beneficial for their growth to play in like a pro-style type 
um, system. Because if you think that any one of these like Coach K people who go into these parents' living rooms and hold their hands and offer them $80,000 can come and like coach in the NBA, you're very wrong. So it's really, it's probably higher level to have these like assistant coaches who um, are highly touted in NBA circles who are working in the G League, coach you up and teach you kind of pro style fundamentals. And I also just think from the aspect of, from the aspect of like knowing if a kid is a legit NBA, you know, from a mental point of view, from a physical point of view, I think you need to vet that during that time. And I don't think you can, you can like assess judgment on someone who's in college partying. We went to a, you know, we went to University of Arizona, a school where you could see where everything goes crazy on the party scene. So I think putting these kids in a professional setting from a young age where they will have like a probably a lot of structure, especially from a basketball point of view, is just going to be a great thing for developing talent on from the United States of America, from having the top players be drafted because they've been properly vetted, you know? So that's I think it's just a great thing. I'm with you. Um what are your thoughts on Nancy Pelosi's fridge? So just to give a little background to to what we're talking about, I don't know if it was a CNN interview or or it was some mainstream media interview that was in Nancy Pelosi's house, probably talking about the state of just affairs and everything like that. And she displayed her her ice cream collection that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life, dude. It's not ridiculous that she has 20 ice cream. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. But to go on national television when unemployment is through the roof, when people are freaking out, and just be like, and and just be like, oh yeah, I'm chilling, I'm eating ice cream. It's just very telling of the current state of the Democratic Party and its its relationship with its constituents. But I just thought it was you know, they're so unaware in the Democratic establishment that I just thought it was, you know, it's funny to see. Did you see it? And what did you think of it? I did see it. And what comes to mind is extremely out of touch. And this is what you get when you have a lifelong politician who has just collected money from the taxpayers and basically uh, hasn't probably created any sort of value in the private sector in her whole entire life. Um, yet she goes up there with taxpayer money and her beautiful house and, and whatnot, and then talks about policies that uh, are more like altruistic and things of that nature as far as the government, yet she's living lavish and large. It doesn't really add up, and uh, that's the problem with politicians. We really... We really need to uh, think twice about about this breed of people. They're kind of psychopaths, and we definitely see it on both sides. So we, I never want to give the the opinion that it's just the Democrats or it's just the Republicans. It's definitely a bipartisan thing. They're both, you know, doing the same thing. Um, the thing about Nancy Pelosi is, do you see her? Do you see a new wave of Democrats coming? Do you see more of the Democratic Party collapsing? Do you see the Democratic Party beating Trump in 2020? What are kind of your thoughts on, obviously, Nancy Pelosi being the the leader of the Democratic Party? What do you think the future is? The Vegas odds obviously scare me because they're at one minus 125 Trump, uh, plus 125 Biden. I actually went back and I looked into previous um, candidates and... Romney at one point was like two to one 
like 250 to one to win. Um, closer to the election, he ended up being like five to one to win. And then I went back and also looked at another incumbent president, which was um, Kerry versus Bush, who right before the election, Kerry was pretty similar two to one versus Bush. And that's a little telling to me because Bush, the perception of him was like war monger, war criminal, hated, and he was still a pretty heavy favorite. So I'm a little scared as to why Trump is so close when he's an incumbent, when others have been a little further. Now, this could move going as the election goes for as this election cycle and season goes further. But just from a Vegas perspective, perspective, I'm scared. For sure. And I think it, it is really, it's just interesting at the very least that it is so close to a pick right? Like such polarizing candidates in Trump being Trump and Joe Biden being Joe Biden. So I'm with you. I think it's super interesting. I think the other thing I wanted to address was, I, we didn't even talk about this before the podcast, podcast at all, but I wanted to get your opinion on what I would say is the bigger, vo- biggest voter demographic, the people that don't vote. Uh, do you think those people are implicitly a vote for Trump? Do you think it's its own thing that needs to be won? I want to really speak to the people that don't vote. What is your thought on that that group right now? Just people who don't plan on getting off their couch to vote? Just the reality of it. I think that in the United States, more people don't vote than vote. Isn't that correct? Um, yeah, I would assume that's correct. I don't really know the exact data, but I, I mean, for, for in many regards, the like first of all if you're in a state that leans heavy left or heavy right the point of a of the opposition party to get off their couch and cast a ballot is kind of pointless so um that might skew things as far if we had a different system maybe you would have more voter turnout if every vote counted for one um but yeah it's it's your prerogative i don't really care i mean there's this whole thing like exercise your right to vote people don't always have that right i mean if you don't want to like get off your couch and support an absolute crook or someone who's just doesn't uh isn't your your vibe then don't do it and dude i'm happy you brought that up i think as we you know we're like 27 28 years old we're starting to realize that we do need to probably reform the electoral college as the indication of who the president is and maybe do a represent representative vote you know where where like you said each vote counts as one truly irrelevant of your state i'm not proposing that i disagree with that actually i i just said that that would change the voter turnout what i think in regards to that and sorry to interrupt you but in regards to that is each state has their own specific needs so it is important to represent the state and not the collective because otherwise we'd just be voting on for the country of what california and new york and chicago one and Houston. So based off of that, we it's important for the person who is supposed to uh, provide, as we're seeing now, and like with all this corona, he has to reach out to even the smallest of states and provide them relief. Uh, it's important that we have a collective representative for this person. If you want uh, certain policies to be portrayed in your state, then definitely focus on on local government. And I think. I I misunderstood that that was your position. That definitely is my position. So it's good that we differ there. Uh, the other thing that I just that I wanted to address from the question is that I think both Trump and Joe Biden, if he is the nominee, have a really good opportunity over the next 
uh, six to eight months while we are all locked up for Corona to really pitch their message to America. And I'm really looking forward to seeing who, which candidate does get that silent majority of voters who probably aren't going to vote, who might not know who they're going to vote for. So I'm really looking forward to the next six to eight months of who's really going to win those voters over and get them excited to go to the polls. And also who has the most wild and crazy sexual allegations come out about them. For sure. There's always going to be, just because of the current state of what we're in with Twitter and all this shit, it's always going to be this crazy ass stuff because they have it in their back pockets. They could release all this stuff today, but the Democrats are so crazy and the Republicans are also so crazy that they just, it's an ongoing war and that's why I would definitely advocate we need more parties. We need we need to reform the system. Just ideas we're throwing out there, right? <laughs> I'm a fan. All right. Well, until next time. Awesome. Thank you so much, man.